Hi, this is Ethan Skinder, and you're listening to the Fires on the Farm podcast. Welcome to Fires on the Farm podcast. I'm Donovan, and with me is Roy. Hey, so some big news on the labor front. <laughs> Huge news. I mean, you know, it's um, it's incredible. I, I was getting ready to go to bed last night, and you know, you always look through Twitter, right? You know, while we're going to bed, because nothing gets me more sleepy than getting fired up about crap on social media, uh, and that comes across and like, holy cow! I mean, it's huge. Yeah, so it sounds like the uh, Major League Baseball Players Association is taking this step to unionize minor league baseball. This is huge, and I didn't see this coming. I don't know if anybody really knew that this was in the works. Well, and, and that's why I think, you know, you really got to give it to the to the Players Association for keeping hush-hush. Like, even in the circles that we kind of run in, um, we didn't hear anything about it. And obviously, you know, the advocates for minor leaguers are more about baseball. Those guys... Uh, aren't, aren't going to be tweeting out stuff. Big news coming up. You know, it's, it is, this is serious, serious business. And this is, in, I mean, it's incredibly serious. And um, so having, you know, it's just great to hear because the, the Players Association backing minor league players being unionized and what that's going to look like is, is up for debate, but certainly it's going to give them more power in uh, various, you know, just to give them more power. Oh and, Yeah what little power they already, I mean, they don't even wield any power now. Um, what that's going to look like is going to be very interesting too. Right, right. You've got a whole field of employees that have no representation. They have no real power to to bargain for any of their own. And then their employer is, they've got this antitrust exemption that lets them skirt past all these labor laws. So now they may actually have some representation. So what's going on is the Major League Baseball Players Association sent authorization cards out to i'm i'm assuming to most if not all of the minor league players every single minor league got one so what they need to do so there's a questionnaire on this card what's your name do you are you interested in being in having major league baseball players association represent you blah 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 so they uh there's a fact that mlbpa put out to make available to players. Uh, it says the MLBPA will use the authorization cards on a confidential basis to demonstrate to the national labor relations board NLRB, a government agency that there is sufficient support among you and your fellow minor league players to hold a union representation election. The MLBPA may also use the cards on a confidential basis to demonstrate that a majority of minor league players support the MLBPA for the purposes of collective bargaining. So these cards go back. They need at least 30% um, yes votes on these cards for the Na uh, National Labor Relations Board to um, to author to like recognize them as an entity. And then there will be a vote in which at least 50% of the minor leaguers would need to vote yes. And then if that happened, then the Players Association would officially represent all minor league players Um and which is which is massive. I mean, this is now yeah. right now. I think there's a pool of like 1,700 players that are represented by the MLBPA. But as soon as that happens, that's I mean tenfold uh, the number of players that would be represented. 
Yeah, well, it'd be really good for the players' association, but I think it would also be. I mean, obviously, it would be really good for the for the minor league players. And look, I don't think they're asking for much. They're not going to be. You know, this isn't going to be. Oh, minor leaguers are making hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, if they're triple A for so many years, they're not. They they just want a living wage. They just want fair working conditions, uh, a livable wage. Um, and you know, maybe some a, a little bit of um, uh, security in the offseason. Like the offseason is, is is a big reason why minor leaguers. We talk so much about minor league um, pay is because in the offseason they got to go find jobs. They got to stay. They got to pay rent. They got to live their lives, and then they got to stay up. You know, they got to stay elite. They got to train almost every day, and they have to stay uh, up to standard to the profession, and be ready. For, you know, when this when the season starts back again. This is getting paid for instructs. This is getting paid for spring training. Uh, this is more pay. And like, we're not, I don't think they're talking about, you know, hundreds of like hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're talking about maybe tens of thousands of dollars. You know, we'll see what that looks like, but certainly a livable wage isn't that hard of an ask. Right. For sure. But, and this also gives them a, a seat at the table to have a voice in the future of baseball operations. Yeah. And so what happens in minor league baseball? What are some of the, because there are requirements that the facilities need to, to pass, you know, where they're going to have minor league teams and, and all of this you know, right now, the players have no voice in it. It's just up to the owners and hope all we can do is cross our fingers and hope that they're acting in the best interest for the sport. Yeah, I thought what J.J. Cooper tweeted earlier uh, from Baseball America was kind of interesting. If MILB unionization happens and a CBA is reached between MLB and that union, a key point to remember is that the only way MLB could contract minor league teams beyond the current 120 would be by getting that union to agree to a reduction of teams and players' jobs. Right, right. So this is all going in line with, um, you, you know, Major League Baseball took over minor league. So... They're, I mean, they absolutely now are employees of Major League Baseball. So they're even the, the noose is a little bit tighter around the players. So having them unionize does give them that that bargaining chip. And if the you know, the thing about that is if the you know the next CBA um, negotiations, you know, we were going to have a minor league season. I think we did. We had a minor league season, before, you know, while they were still locked out, right? So oh yeah, if, if um, I mean this the season hadn't started yet. We didn't get to that point, but it was going to happen regardless of med- yeah. what Major League Baseball was doing. Yeah, but then you would, you'd have you everybody locked out. Right. And that means, you know, their affiliates are going to be putting pressure on on the on the organizations and the in Major League Baseball to get an agreement done. Yeah, it, I think back to when you uh, when the lockout was going on and Eugene Friedman, uh, you know, I was following him pretty closely. Yeah. And one of the points he brought up was that by contracting the minor league system, the Major League Baseball was reducing the amount of entry into the labor pool. You know, the number of, of people that have a voice. Uh, and so and at the time, you know, I, when, when this whole thing started minor league baseball and major league baseball were separate entities. This is back. What last December, I think was when the CBA uh, or the, not the CBA, the was a player development agreement when that expired. Um, And so up until then they were separate entities. And now that they're all one entity, it almost opened major league baseball up for being unionized by the players association like this. It's kind of an interesting uh, turn of events. My, how the tables turn. Absolutely. So this is a little bit from the Evan Drellich article on The Athletic. Uh, late Sunday night, the MLB Players Association sent out authorization cards 
uh, asking them to formally declare that they want the MLB Players Association to represent them. Quote, everything we've achieved as an organization is tied to the players at this time, uh, being willing to stand for what they believed was right and fair, Tony Clark, uh, executive director, said in a four-and-a-half-minute video message shared with minor league players. That's how this works. That's how it happens. And so the question becomes whether or not you, as a part of this player group at this time, are willing to take that stand. If you do, the possibilities are endless. If you don't, it's going to be remarkably difficult for any group of players that comes after you to make the decision at that time. In that climate, to unionize, I believe you are the right group. I believe you are the right players, and I believe that this is the right time. We strongly encourage you to become involved in this historic effort by signing the confidential authorization card. Yeah, he said the time is now for minor league players to stand together. The Major League Baseball Players Association is inviting you to join our brotherhood. Imagine if I was a player and I saw that email, like that would give me chills. That'd give me some yeah. goosebumps right there. Like this is this is a huge movement. And I thought it was interesting. One line spoke strongly to me. The commissioner's office declined comment. <laughs> That tells me that they were caught flat-footed up by this. I don't oh, think they stop. saw this coming. Yeah, this it's a coup. It, it really is a coup. And with the um, with recently with the uh, with a judgment against Major League Baseball and them having to pay, having having to pay a bunch of minor leaguers back pay, that's that's another huge coup for uh, another kind of punch in the belly to Major League Baseball, where they got to come in line with, you know, what is happening not only in the political not political side, but um. You know, with the voices being heard in minor league baseball, then what the courts are doing, and now with the the judiciary community looking at their antitrust exemption, like it's body blow after body blow. And and I love major league baseball. I love it's why we're here. Um, but they really need to come in line with with reality, and that's that's kind of what's happening here, I believe. Well, as we've said so many times, that we we love the sport, but we hate the business of it. Yeah. And, and this is, this is, to me, this is the worst, one of the worst parts, I guess you can say a few, there are a few bad angles of it, but it's just the exploitation of, of young players and youths. And then you see, you know, kid opts out of college to go pursue a career in baseball. They get chewed up by the minor league system for six, seven, eight years, and then they get spat out with no you know no real life skills so they know how to play baseball and that's about it and then they have to pick up the pieces and figure out what to do with their career you know, so it's yeah. encouraging when i hear about guys like ripken reyes pursuing his advanced degree or reading about the kyle kyle martin um the article in the chihuahuas uh so he got his degree in mechanical engineering he went ahead and completed his degree uh so you hear about some of those stories but you know that there's a lot of kids that are just you know, they were, they've, they've lived their whole life trying to get that chance. They got the chance. It didn't turn out. And then what, you know, it's, it's tragic. Yeah, absolutely. And not everyone can go, you know, charge hitting. Not everyone can be a coach. Not everyone's going to be make money in the sport. And that's, uh, that's just the way it is. It, it's funny. I was talking to a guy at work today and his, uh, his brother uh, played D one was a D one pitcher and had a bad senior year, and he didn't get drafted. He really wanted to get drafted, but he didn't get drafted. And a couple of his buddies got drafted, and he's like, you know, he always talks about he would he would just – I just missed out being in the minor leagues. And and the guy in my community I was talking to, he's like, I, I kept telling him, like, no, no, you didn't really miss out on, you, you know, bad bus rides. And this is like 15 years ago when he was pitching. You know, bad bus rides, no money. You're getting – you're getting oh, – it's just a horrible lifestyle. 
you know, and your chances of making it are so slim that like, he's a doctor now. That guy's a doctor now instead of, you know, a, a, a baseball player. And this is, like I said, 15 years ago, but it's just, it goes to show you that even those that didn't get drafted want to become, want to get drafted and want to do it. And they don't really know what they're getting into until it happens. And a lot of that, I don't think really has been put out there since, you know, advocate for minor leaguers and more about baseball where they have these little uh, pop-up meetings and let, you know, let these guys know what's going to happen when you get drafted. We see it so many times on Twitter. We see it so many times on Instagram where they have these little, uh, these little free little uh, webinars where like, this is what's going to happen when you get drafted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my, my heart goes out to the guy that signs for 10 grand kicks around for a couple of years and then has to leave baseball, not because they aren't playing well or, or any of that, but because financially they can't, yeah. they can't figure out how to make it through a season, um, you know, because they've got a family to support. They've got this, that. So like you said, nobody's asking for these guys to get paid a King's ransom, just a fair living wage, decent working conditions. So by unionizing, they, they at least have an opportunity to negotiate for some of these yeah. things. And it's not like it's going against the organizations. Like all this stuff makes your player have a higher probability of of advancing, a higher probability of developing, a higher probability of becoming what you invested in, which is the major league baseball player. Yeah, because those five dollar hot and ready's that's that's really? not the kind of diet you want your your premium athlete to be living on. Right, aren't conducive to muscle building. You know, and working your 40 hour week during the off season or whatever happens during the season. Um, no, not that, at all. That's huge. You know, I, I reached out to um, well, another thing with this is advocates for minor leaguers has now been folded into the major league baseball players association. Yeah. So, so advocates for minor leaguers is, is no longer, they have all resigned and taken up various roles in, um, in the major league, ba- you know, in, in the players association. So, you know, there's going to be a whole now separate wing just in minor league affairs uh, in the Players Association, which I think is fantastic. And that organization is run by former players and current players. So these are not just people who think they, they should know what to do. These are people that are actually living it or have lived it and know it needs to change. So that is it, it's huge. So to take this off on a bit of a tangent. So the winter meetings haven't, they haven't announced where they're going to have them this year, but when we went, we learned that the winter meetings was originally a minor league baseball operation. And then major league baseball decided to have their own winter meetings in parallel at the same location or the same host city, but they they're separate conventions. Now it's, is it all going to be jumbled in together under one roof? Is it, you know, is the, the business all going to cross pop pollinate is I'm, I'm curious to see how that, how that kind of turns out. I mean, it's, it's a minor thing that most of us never, never see, but I like the business side of baseball. So we got to see, you know, the seminars for the new, new employees or the the prospective employees trying to get their first job. Um, And you've got players down there trying to find, you know, trying to figure out where they're going to play next year. Right. Right. Um, It's interesting because we've done it only here in San Diego where there are two separate hotels actually on each side of the convention center, which makes San Diego one of the best destinations for the, for the winter meetings. But I wonder if the, you know, if if you're right, are they going to have, because the Peebo is, is, is one whole thing. Then, you know, do you have the major league baseball stuff going on and all there, you know, there were some rooms on that second floor at the Hyatt that uh, I, you know, you, you saw, but you don't really go into like, will it be at one hotel or, or is it at one hotels when it's in other cities? 
We just have seen it here. And I and I love the fact that I could walk, okay, let's go to the major league side. All right, that's where the press room is. And that's where we do all the scrums for the GMs. And, you know, all the kind of cool stuff is, like, for lack of a better term. Um, and then you go to the minor league side and you have all the, you know, the 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 stuff that they're selling, all the the kind of the job, not only the job fair, but the fair stuff that they have there. All the um the yeah, there's a whole trade of, show, yeah, right. The whole trade show of minor league baseball, which is cool as hell. I spent like a half an hour in the batting cage. <laughs> I spent a half an hour in the batting cage. Oh, that um, VR batting cage thing they had. Oh my god, yeah, it was uh, just a regular batting cage, and it was with you know with the arm with a video screen. Um, yeah, but it had the video have... screen where it looked like the pitcher was pitching to you, and right. they had the pitching machine yeah. that could throw all the different breaking stuff. Yeah, so it was oh, kind of cool. like like you're standing there facing Max Scherzer. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So it's going to be interesting to see how it does. And and hopefully it'll be in San Diego soon. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Cross your fingers. All, All right, right. So we- let's move on to our next topic here. So now that the uh, we've gotten past the trade deadline, we've gotten past the draft, uh, a bunch of publications are starting to put out their updated farm system rankings. So MLB Pipeline did theirs. And the Padres, my, how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> the Padres came in at 28th out of 30. Uh, in 2022 preseason, they were 17th. Uh, in 2021 preseason, they were sixth. 2020 midseason, they were ranked third. Uh, and so now the Padres only have two top 100 prospects in Jackson Merrill and Luis Camposano. Uh, and uh, so they wrote, the fact that the Soto trade didn't completely sink San Diego to number 30 is a testament to where the farm was before the blockbuster of the century. Despite a wrist injury that kept him out for nearly three months, Merrill has continued to give evaluators plenty of reasons to believe he can be a quality everyday major leaguer. Camposano remains a top 100 prospect, albeit barely, as a potential starting quality backstop with good overall bat and the draft picks of Ryan Dylan Lesko and Robbie Snelling added even more upside. This is still without a prospect among the type pipeline top 85 or a ton of depth beyond the names listed, so they land in the bottom three. You and I almost... do, I do kind of expect Jackson Merrill to move up a little bit in the next yeah. year or two, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that the covers are pretty bare until you go down to the the single A level, and that's where you start to see the talent that doesn't really show up on, especially on like MLB Pipeline. They weigh the upper minors so much more heavily, yeah. which makes sense. There's less variate variability. You know, they're looking for the surefire prospects. You don't see a lot of guys in the prospect league, you know, making their listings. Right. And also you don't, you have a lot more top, you know, first round, second round picks that are in those minors. We only have a couple of those guys left in Jackson Merrill, um, you know, and then let's go and, and Robbie Snelling. Uh, my, my question. So w- what I want to talk about here is when we had the number one prospect, when we, you know, we were on the top prospect list, um, you know, prospects are great. It's like what I've always been told what the word potential means to me. So potential always means currently not worth a damn. <laughs> okay. Meaning, right. Um, that comes kind of the recovery side of me. Uh, and what I mean by that is if not all these guys were going to fit on the 26 man roster, not every one of those top, you know, not all those top draft picks were going to go into the major league Padre team, you know? And so you started using those. What are you using for? You use it for trade. If you can't right. bring them up and, and, and you don't have the time and our, you know, our timeline got a little accelerated you use that talent depth to get major league ready guys. And I think Preller has done a fantastic job of doing that, but in the process, you kind of empty out the well. Now, I don't think, 
you know, the beauty I like about Prowler is, is he will he'll fill it up within the next few years, fill it right back up with the international signings and the draft. But oh yeah, Dave, like, like you know, a guy like Dave Dombrowski, who's known for just gutting the minor league system just to get your major league players, and like that's his tag. Um, I don't think Prowler gets that, but he certainly used all that talent, um, you know, to get major league players. And look where those guys are now. I mean, James Woods now is hitting really well. You can go with, we just played the Cleveland Indians. So several of those guys are, are major league players. Yeah, um, Cal Quantrill sure looked like somebody I uh, wish the Padres could still have on the roster. Absolutely. And he did one, look a little bit like that with us, but then the, occasionally, you know, he'd have three good starts and then four horrible starts. Also, true. first base was our, like, Eric Hosmer made us trade you know, so many of these guys away. You're Ty Francis. You're Josh Naylor's guys that could have played first base. They got a couple platooned and had a lot more production. But since we couldn't get rid of that guy and he was a staple in that lineup, we had to trade those guys. And that's freaking horrible. Yeah. And also with no DH. So, yeah. you know, that's where Fran Mill was, was kind of squeezed out because he didn't have a position. Uh, and then Naylor was the next guy to go and tie France. But if they, if the, if the Padres had a DH spot, at least one of the guys, those guys would probably still be around. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's easy to go back and, and nitpick the, the trades and say which ones were winners and which ones were losers. And when you look at the ones in the loss column, they do hurt. You're seeing some of these guys that have left and they've gone on to flourish in other organizations. Um, I, yeah. I, I wish that the player development system had more wins among guys coming up within the Padres organization. It seemed like there was this whole cycle of that. They would come up, they'd get a sniff in the majors, they'd struggle, they'd get relegated back to AAA, and then eventually they'd get traded away. Uh, You know, so somebody like Luis Rios is the most recent one. They kind of fit that, that for whatever reason, when he got close, he couldn't break through and then he had to go. Um, And so you see these teams that, yeah, they bring in big name guys like the Cardinals are a good example. They brought yeah. in Goldschmidt, they brought in Arenado, but then they also have all of these young players coming up that supplement that major league roster. Yeah. And right now the Padres on the position player side, they're okay on the pitching side, especially starting pitching. It's looking a little thin. So like if one or two guys got hurt, like we saw a couple of years ago with Lamette and, uh, and Clevenger, yeah, the season would be done. Yeah, I, I don't see how this team would 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 weather something like that. And and that's because you don't have guys down in AAA that are that are kicking butt and you know fighting for their chance to make the big league roster. Yeah. You don't have that depth. And most of that's been traded away. So I it's kind of book two sides of the coin. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. he's used this prospect talent to to put together an impressive roster. Um it still has some flaws. That's where my 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 initial thought for our theme song today would be the land of misfit toys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, yeah. so I'm okay with having. Right now, you've got one of the most talented rosters in baseball out there. When you look at just all 26 of those guys, some incredible talent. So it's okay for the farm system to be a little bit thin now for the next couple of years. It'll be it'll come back. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, that's what he does, and that's what uh, that's what his front office does so well is scouting and de- and scouting and, and talent acquisitions. I almost said development, but you know, e- even so, I think they do develop players. Because uh, look, who's in the, all those guys we just talked about that are in the major leagues right now, were developed more or less in our. Oh system. yeah, 
Yeah, it feels like up through double A, at least the Padres have done a really good job of taking players, maybe lots of guys that even had significant flaws in their, you know, and then you look at their tool set and being able to work through all that stuff and turn them into really good quality prospects. Yeah. So let's move on so, to movement. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so Joshua Mears has been promoted to the missions. The slugging outfielder has a 223-304-511 line for the tin caps, but continues to strike out at historic rates. He'll get a chance to be a part of the playoffs to end a roller coaster 2022 campaign. So Joshua Mears, he's kind of a he's kind of a polarizing figure. Definitely. We uh, you know, we all kind of shook our head when they did push him up. Uh, to double A this year. I think it would have just served him a little bit better to kind of gain a little more confidence in high A. But, you know, if they can put a power bat in that lineup for the playoffs and he gets a little taste of double A of what he needs to work on uh, in the offseason, uh, certainly is, uh, you know, is, you know, that's what Preller does. He loves to challenge guys and uh, see what they can do and see how they react. Like, well, he was, put, he was putting up 10 uh, video game numbers after he came back from the desert. Yeah. Um, striking out a ton, but he was hitting for average, getting on base a ton and hitting for massive power. So I wonder if he was just able to kind of sit back and wait for fastballs or something, you know, and so they needed to give him a little bit different of a challenge. Yeah. In uh, 21 games in Fort Wayne, he hit 276 with a 313 on base and 579 slugging. So, I mean, and that was after struggling when he first came back up a little bit. So, I mean, he was crushing it. But you know, you got to keep guys challenged and you can't just I, I, I wonder how hard it's got to be to say, OK, ignore the home runs. That you're hitting 500 feet. We need to look at these that that two times you struck out today. Right. You know, when he's laying there going to bed, he's thinking about about that sweet contact and watching that ball sail over the warehouse. Yeah, because there's lots of dream on with Josh Mears, and like, I'll say it again: like it, it's it's kind of a bewildering, a head scratcher to to see why he didn't move him up to Double A, but that that's fine. So with the ACL squad's last game of the year, uh, just this last week, uh, they bolstered the Storm, who's also going to the playoffs with Jordan Guerrero, Carter Lowen, both continued return from Tommy John surgeries, draftees Nathan Mort- Mortarella, uh, Jacob Marcy. Marcy and Grand Pauly. Grand Pauly, dude, I, I caught a couple of games with him playing second base, and he made like three incredible plays at second. Uh, was just phenomenal plays. So he was real fun to watch. And um, and undrafted free agent Kai Murphy are headed up to the Storm as well. They played several games this last week. Also, and then Justin, uh, Justin Farmer yeah. went up to the Tin Caps, and he's already started to contribute with them. Um, and Justin Diaz went with him. And then Wyatt Ulrich, an undrafted free agent, has been released. Um, you know, I was he an undrafted free agent? I think he was. Uh, he was. He was a uh, indie ball kid. He might have been. I don't. I don't really remember. But I found out it was kind of interesting that the undrafted free agent already got released. So maybe he's like, eh, maybe. Yes, yeah, I. That's. I. I think we got a, a typo on the notes here. I'm pretty sure that he came from indie ball. Um, I want to say that he. I'm. I'm not going to speculate too much. But yeah, he. He right. came up from indie ball. So I mean, that happens. Come in, you get a look at a guy for a month, and then. You know, send them on their way. It's unfortunate. So a couple other moves. Olivier Basabe went to the Tin Caps IL. Uh, Charlize Aquino came up from Lake Elsinore to the Tin Caps. Uh, Jared Alvarez-Lopez is with the Storm. Um, and then Alson, 
Allison Contero went back to the tin caps to fill his spot. So Alvarez Lopez is a catcher as is Quintero. Uh, and then Ruben Salinas was transferred back to the ACL effectively ending his year. Yeah. Send him back when there's no more games to play. Right. <laughs> and Angel Solarte was released, which I thought was really, I, I saw, wow. Wow. I, I was, uh, I was really taken aback by that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, a couple of years ago in spring training, um, you know, I was watching his BP and I, uh, I kind of mentioned something to, to, um, to Philippe, uh, Philippe Sosa. Uh, he's the, he's the first base coach over in, in the storm. He's like, Oh, this, this kid's going to be a star. And I was, so I always kind of kept an eye on him and did really well in a ball, but just when he got up to high, a, he just, he just kind of fell off. Yeah. Yeah. And that happens. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you get an idea of, you know, how, how coachable, what kind of potential, what kind of changes you're seeing. I mean, heck, the the White Sox released Elisha Tatis, and Fernando Tatis Sr. said that he was going to be better than Junior. Yeah. Go figure. That's a father for you, though. So that makes 26 out of the 175 players who were under contract in the minors at the start of the season who have now been released, and five more have retired. Minor League Baseball is a meat grinder. For sure. For sure. That is the tweet from Mad Fryers. All right, so let's get through this next little bit here. So uh, Matt Fryer's David J had a Q&A with Tin Caps infielder Carlos Luis, one of my favorite guys. Yeah. So uh, go ahead. All right, back in 2016, the San Diego Padres announced a lot of shortstops, including high-profile athletes like Abel Arias, Jody Barley, and Justin Lopez among the 54 international signings in the Bonanza year 2016. Nine were listed as shortstops. Nine. Everyone's a shortstop. Very we yep. report on the club's massive hall of talent was 17-year-old Carlos Luis, listed at six foot 160 pounds as a shortstop by the end, by the time he arrived stateside to the start of the 2017 campaign, he had surged past 200 pounds and was still figuring out how to move in his new body type. He flashed good bat speed at the plate, but everything about his mechanics and approach was raw. Then north of six foot three, he managed just five extra base hits and 176 uh 176 trips to the plate. The Padres kept Luis at extended spring training in 2019 before sending him to short season Tri-City. He showed a bit more occasional power in the Northwest League, but his season was cut short when a gruesome collision as he reached for a throw at first base, left him with a compound fracture of his forearm. I don't remember hearing about that. And I saw that in the article. No, And that must have been a grisly scene because he he, apparently has a scar from it. They must have had to perform surgery to put him back together. So after the after the 2020 loss season, Luis finally reached full season ball last year, but managed to hit just 243, 304, 338 line while often pulling off the ball and failing to get to his raw power consistently. That inconsistently finally began to fade this year. Now six foot four, 237 pounds, Luis was set back to the his second pass at Lake Elsinore. He still doesn't always get to his power in games, but he's made enough changes to improve his walk rate and reduce his strikeouts while boasting a 500, uh, 50% increase in his ISO, his isolated power rate. So left-handers hit, uh, the left-handed hitter has been especially effective against um, righties, posting a 912 OPS that carried his overall line for the Storm to a 319, 390, 465. The performance earned him a promotion to Fort Wayne. The big man got off to an uneven start in high A, managing only two extra base hits in his first two series, but he's reached base in every game with the 10 caps and maintained his sub 20% strikeout rate 
while walking a bit more often than he had at the lower level. Now, at 22, Luis has a career-high six homers, but still remains more raw than most players six years into their professional season. Mad Friars, watching you at the plate this year, it seems like you've been more on time and able to turn on the ball more this year. Carlos, it's what I've been working on since the offseason, and that was the big focus. Last year, sometimes balls in or fastballs up would get to me, but this year I've been trying to fix that. I have my routine now working with the machine at 20 to 25 feet so I can pick that fastball up. 20 to 25 feet. That's yeah. crazy. That's like yeah. you go down to stadium, stadium golf and you walk halfway out. And then you start trying to hit the ball. <laughs> well, and that's when when you see Major League Baseball when they throw BP, like they're not, they're they're right up on you, and the guy's just whizzing it in there. Yeah, but I mean, he's whizzing it at what, like seventy miles an hour, right? So it's it's all relative. Okay, so it seems like you're staying back and able to go the other way a bit more consistently. What have you been working? What have you been doing to work on that? Uh, during the pregame routine, I'm focusing more on my hands. In the first two rounds of batting practice, I'm just thinking middle to left. And I, that's got to be something that they work with because I'd imagine a lot of kids get drafted or signed, whatever, and they just step in the plate and start hacking right. without having a, a plan. And I know that you watch a lot of these guys take the batting practice. They'll drop down the first couple for bunts. And then I, I heard that when you watch Tony Gwynn take batting practice, he just put on a clinic that he's just he's hitting spots. He's trying to hit this spot, that spot, flight one a little higher, hit one low, you know, and, but that's guys need to have a plan when they step into the box. That's gotta be something that they've got to work on in coaching. Like how do you develop that plan that your routine on how to prepare for the day? So uh, you still have a serious scar where you broke your arm in a collision up in Tri-City. Does that still come into your mind when you're in the field? Uh, Carlos says, no, no. But last year I was thinking about it when my teammates threw to me now it's more routine and I'm more used to it. And so I don't know the specifics of the play, but I got to imagine it's one of those where he had to reach back toward the, the running line and his arm got caught with the runner, that right. kind of thing. Yeah, and so true. I can see when that moment's happening and your instinct says to take you that direction, that like something short circuits in your brain, like, Right. I, I, I can imagine that the trauma kind of coming back. Self-preservation really kicks in right there. For sure. Okay, so the last question here. You've come a long way in terms of your athleticism and how you move in the field since you first came to Peoria. What have you done to get to that point? Carlos says, it's been difficult. I've always been a big person, but I've worked my ass off in the offseason to get to improve my agility and get to where I am. I've worked really hard at it. I love where he said he worked my ass off. <laughs> yeah. It had to be trans translation. I don't think he speaks English. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think he speaks a whole lot of English, but you see him out on the field and he's like, he's a jovial kind of a guy. Yeah. You see him yeah. interacting with the other people, the other players. Um, and, and I can see how he'd kind of a shoot from the hip kind of a person, but it's good to hear that he's putting in all that work in the off season to get his, get his body right. And, and to make these changes. Cause he's, it's really paying off for him this year. Yeah, he, dude, he, I, I loved watching him in Elsinore. He was fun. Yeah, he uh, was. So let's get on to the affiliate rundown. Uh, starting in the AZL, the only strike, strike one. Tuesday was closing time in the desert as we waved goodbye to another ACL season. The game may not be over, it may be over, but the memories will last forever. Oh, God, who wrote that? I don't know. <laughs> That's got to be a David J line. <laughs> got to be a David J. Um, he, he's right. <laughs> Um, 
give me a second here. The games may be over there. Okay, the SEL Padres lost the final game of the season and wrapped up the campaign 29 and 25 record. Hey, okay. winning five, four games over 500. All right. Ru- Ruben Salinas touched down in Peoria and wrapped up a successful campaign with a pair of hits, including a double. Salinas will finish the ACL with a 300 average and what equates to his first season as a professional. Right-handed Pierce Johnson joined the bevy of rehabbers in the desert by beginning his march back to the Padres. He started and completed a scoreless inning, striking out a batter. Chase Walter followed up with a scoreless inning of his own. The 24-year-old struggled in his first outing on August 20th. He failed to record an out while walking three batters. The former Western Carolina star will almost certainly move to another affiliate in coming days. And just this week, uh, Pierce Johnson also just pitched, I believe, in AAA on Thursday or Friday, so... I heard that uh, uh, Craig Stammen was uh, reportedly heading out to Arizona to start working toward rehab. Yeah. And I thought Craig Stammen was done for the year, but yeah, maybe there's a chance that he might come back right at the end. Okay. So taking us up to Lake Elsinore um, strike one here on Tuesday, Nathan Martorella made his storm debut and began his tenure with the storm the same way he ended his stint in the ACL with a multi-hit game. Martorella drew a walk and had a pair of singles Tuesday night. Second baseman Graham Pauly also made his storm debut and he drove in four runs, tying his career high. Pauly's big hit came in the eighth inning when he hit a bases loaded double that drove in all three. Marcos Castagnon had only one hit, but he made it count. The 23-year-old infielder connected on his 20th homer of the season. He joins Fernando Tatis Jr. and Hudson Potts as the only players to hit 20 or more homers at the low A level since A.J. Preller started running the team in 2014. Let's hope that his career trajectory follows Fernando Tatis Jr. a little more closely than yeah. what's happened with Hudson Potts. Yeah, and I, I think Castagnon, he just he has a better average. He hits he hits. He hits. He gets more hits more often. So, um, you know, Hudson Potts was a feast or famine guy, uh, and you know, it hasn't really even developed even in the in the Red Sox system. And we all know what Tatis did, but uh, there's something about Castagnon. He, he like, I watch him so much when he, you know, when he doesn't get a hit, he gets pissed. You could see it. Like if he swings at a bad pitch, you could see this kid cares. He wants to do better. And when we talk to him, you know, you can you can really get that in our interview with him as well. So uh, that's our guy. That's yeah, maybe guy. there's maybe there's some kind of a of a of a parallel in there. How we've talked about how Preller has changed the types of players that he goes after. Right. That right. Hudson Potts had power that was near the top of the scale, and he was a, an athletic guy, but the other tools were lacking. And I don't know if you can really you don't see somebody develop a hit tool as they work their way up through the minors. You know, some you know, it improves a little bit. But there's got to be some aptitude, some propensity for hitting. Uh, and then on top of that, I, you, you just talk about instincts and being able to play anywhere on the field and the defensive plays that he makes, makes and having his head in the game all the time. Um, you know, Hudson Potts was, like you said, feast or famine. It's like, how far can he can he hit a baseball was all that he was seemed like he was trying to do and swinging over bad pitches and watching good pitches go right down the heart. Um, you don't see Castagnon do that. He always no. puts up a good at bat, even if it winds up in an out or something like that. It's still, you know, he's swinging at good pitches. He's not swinging at the bad pitches. Um, so just, I, I think there's a little evolution in, in the type of guy that Preller goes after. Absolutely. All right. So take us to strike two. So strike two. I watched this game. Victor uh, Lizarraga, he delivered a commanding performance. Uh, he did. His fastball was sharp, had tons of movement. The slider was working. 
Um, just yeah, you look at this kid and you see him pitch, and you're like, this kid can't be a senior in high school. Kid's fucking 18 years old. Um, and there's just blowing guys away, and he's pitching. He's not just blowing them away with the velocity, but he's actually throwing off speed. You know, he's he's nice pitch mix. Uh, he's really fun to watch. And I just, you know, watching that game, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry for all the F-bombs, but just, on, you know. But on that note, so there's only one more homestand. The Storm are about to open their next home, their final homestand of the season, and then the championships. So if you want to go see these guys, you better get up there right yeah. now. Up this week or next weekend as well. And then the playoffs start, I think, the following week after that, when actually John Conniff will be here and send uh, up in Elsinore for that. So going on. But his bullpen couldn't give him the, any relief. Lizarraga cruised through six innings on 72 pitches. The 18-year-old righty is a name to remember for those who may be wondering what top-line talent remains in the lower levels of the system after the MLB trade deadline. With a 6-3 record and a 3.58 ERA, Lizarraga has struck out 81 batters and walked 33 and 83rd and 83 innings in his first full season as a professional baseball player. Graham Pauly launched his third home run of the season and his first since being promoted to Lake Elsinore from the desert. Paulie, this Padres 13th round draft pick in the summer's draft is a 21 year old infielder from Duke university and is batting 455 with a double, a home run and six runs batted in, in his first 11 at bats for the storm. Fifth rider, Nathan Martorella logged his second two hit game in three, uh, in the three he's played for Lake Elsinore, a first baseman by trade from the university of California. Mortarella is batting 400 with a home run and 10 RBIs in 40 at bats between Asia the uh, ACL, excuse me, and the Padres uh, and the Storm. Strike three on Friday. This one got crazy in the ninth. The Storm broke a 2-2 tie in the top half by scoring three runs to take the lead. Inland Empire came back and scored four, including a walk-off two-run homer. Right field Jacob Marcy had a single and a double, and he drew a walk out of the leadoff spot. The 21-year-old outfielder made his pro debut earlier this month in the ACL, but he's joined the Storm roster for the final few weeks and their playoff run. The former Central Michigan outfielder is 5 for 14 with five walks in four games in full season ball. Marcos Castagnon, all he does is hit. While he failed to homer in Friday's game, he had three hits and five at bats. The three hit game extended Castagnon's hitting streak to 15 games. Righty Jairo Iriarte pitched well but couldn't make, quite make it out of the fifth. He allowed five hits and walked two but kept Inland, Inland Empire off the scoreboard. He threw 80 pitches before being lifted. The 20-year-old starter has shown a good fastball, a developing curve, and a changeup this season. God, I watched that game, and it, it was it took forever. It, yeah. was getting, <laughs> it was getting late. It, like even for a Friday night, I'm like, okay, I gotta, you know, I gotta, you know, I gotta get to bed. You know, it was like 9:30, close to 10 by the, by the time that they hit the two-run walk-off. Actually, I turned it off just before that. So, um, good timing. Yeah, absolutely. So Fort Wayne strike one Thursday after a rainout on a Wednesday, there was a doubleheader and the nightcap Ryan Berger delivered five innings of scoreless baseball in the nightcap, keying Fort Wayne to a shutout and marking his first scoreless outing for Berger this season. He threw a career high 99 pitches. The 2021 sixth rounder has pitched to a 5.9, uh, 5.92 ERA and 94 and a third innings this season. Cole I feel like he's one of these guys that's had like strong, yeah. like a strong stretch and a weak stretch and a strong stretch. So that's where you don't necessarily scout the stat line. You look past that 5.92 ERA and break it down and see, okay, when he was pitching well, what was he doing? Right. Well, and this is first season, first season in, in affiliated ball. So that's pretty damn good. Oh, yeah. 
you know, so Cole Cummings ripped a two out double, two out RBI double in the first inning to score Lucas Dunn, who had been hit by a pitch. Then in the second catcher, Anthony Villard lined a single to right that scored center fielder Justin Farmer and left fielder Albert Fabian. Strike two on Friday, left-hander Jackson Wolf <laughs> turned in another strong outing, but he was doomed by the lack of offense. It was the second time this season that Wolf has finished seven innings. He allowed three earned runs on just two hits with a pair of strikeouts. The Southpaw has a 2.92 ERA in four August starts. Wolf is oppo- has allowed opposing hitters to hit 153 this month, and his .85 whip is impressive. The former West Virginia star has thrown 112 and two-third innings this season. Carlos Luis only struck out once, and he had two hits, including a triple. Catcher Anthony Villar had a two-hit night to extend his hitting streak to five games. The 23-year-old hasn't played much this year, but he's one of the better hitters for the Tin Caps in August. In 36 plate appearances this month, the former Miami Hurricane is hitting 344-432-406. So Jackson Wolf, he's a lefty who comes from like an extreme sidearm I got to imagine that there, there aren't a lot of pitchers that guys have faced by the time they get to that. So it may be part of what makes him so successful right now. It's just such an unusual look, the deceptiveness and a weird angle. It looks like it's coming out of second baseman. Yeah. And he's like nine feet tall. So, you know, he doesn't have the velocity and he pitches up in the zone. So he, he the fastball comes up in the zone and then he gets him with the slider and, and breaking stuff away and, and down in the zone. Um, there's going to be a lot of development with him uh, as he goes forward. You know, he doesn't have that velocity. So as he re- reaches the higher levels, of the minors, he's going to learn how to really, how to really mix up the pitches and maybe even get the velocity to tick up just a pinch, but he's been fun to watch. I love watching him. I watched this game uh, several innings. Um, just, it's just fun to watch. <laughs> it's just fun to watch. Well, in the tin caps, they tweeted out a little clip. He's got some dance moves too. Oh, I didn't see that. Uh, and it was yeah. really rough. It was really rough. Uh, it was really rough. Woof, rough week for uh, for the Tin Caps. They lost in several of those games, and I had to find a couple gems in there to uh, to kind of put in the agenda. So, moving on to strike three, Saturday, Jose Espada delivered his most impressive start since joining the organization, throwing six shutout innings and over uh, only allowing a two out single in the fifth inning. Nick Thwaites followed Espada with three perfect innings to combine on the team's first one hitter in three years. Thwaites needed only 27 pitches and 20 of those for strikes to get the last nine outs. Since reverting from a four-seamer to a cutter earlier this season, the 2018 draftee has reasserted himself. The Ohio native has posted a 1.62 ERA and a .75 whip over his last two, 20 and two-thirds innings of work. Working as a multi-inning reliever. Thank you. Loons pitcher River Ryan, who has just been a stud since he's been released, uh, walked the first two batters but got the next two outs and had a chance to get out of the jam until an error extended the frame and allowed the first run. Like, that was a horrible well, first inning. He was an infielder with the Padres. Yeah. Didn't get a whole lot. And then he they released him. Dodgers swoop him up, put him on the mound. And, man, he's been he's been rolling since they picked him up. And this is the first game where he didn't roll. Mm-hmm. So then Augustin Ruiz then made him pay with his eighth overall homer of the year to right field on Ryan's 30th and final pitch of the game. Ruiz had three hits on the night, extending his hitting streak to match a season-best five games. Justin Farmer drew his 100th walk of the season and leads all of minor league baseball. He also swept his first high-A stolen base in his fifth game, bringing his season total to 39. 
All right. So now we go to San Antonio. And before we get to our strike points, Noel Vela and Evan Miller have teamed up with uh, with V versus cancer. Versus the cancer. mission say, please join me in supporting children battling brain cancer by pledging for every strikeout I throw during the month of September, Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Every day, children across the nation receive the unimaginable news that they've been diagnosed with a brain tumor. Pediatric brain cancer is the deadliest and most common form of cancer in children under 15. This September, I've decided to hashtag go head to head against pediatric brain cancer uh, to support children and families across the nation who are battling this terrible disease. The Pediatric Brain Tumors Foundation's Versus Cancer program was created by former collegiate baseball player and gives every athlete the opportunity to give back through the sport. Dollars raised through this campaign will fund life-saving pediatric brain tumor research and family support programs, including financial assistance, care packages, educational materials, support groups, and more. Please join me as I join forces with Versus Cancer to work toward a cure for these kids. If you would like to get involved with versus cancer and the fight against childhood cancer visit www.vs-cancer.org or donate directly to https charity.pledgeit.org you can also check out my progress on the go head to head leaderboard absolutely so, so um we had a little money left over i i left the the sales of the damage duo shirts and merch on um since since then we've had uh, 75 more dollars raised in that and with permission uh, with uh, Jackson Merrill, I'm going to take that and split it between the two campaigns and probably on Monday, put those, uh, put half of the money in, in Noel's and half the money in Evans and and do with that. That's, that's awesome. That, a little extra money. And, you know, not, 75 bucks isn't going to do much for the team up in Lake Elsinore, but certainly uh, it's going to help these guys achieve. And I think they're both trying to raise a thousand bucks. So if you guys pledge two bucks, a, a, a strikeout, you know, and he has five strikeouts, 10 bucks. You know, or 20 bucks or whatever you guys want to do. Um, we just want to support these guys in this effort. Yeah, that's awesome. Fantastic. So strike one, Tuesday, Brandon Kumar faced some adversity in the top first inning and allowed three runs to score on two base hits. Zach Geloff, Oakland's fourth-ranked prospect, hit his solo home run to right field. After recording the second out of the inning, Kumar issued back-to-back walks. Brett Harris drove in McCann with a bases hit and with a base hit to left. Soderstrom scored the final run of the inning on a balk. Midland took a 3-0 lead. After the first inning, he allowed just one base hit before being replaced by Osvaldo Hernandez prior to the sixth inning. So had a tough first inning and then brought it back. Um, Kamar tied his career high with seven strikeouts while issuing three walks. Josh Mears went one for four in his double-A debut. He singled and struck out three times. The right-handed Moises Lugo pitched the final three innings and shut down the Rockhounds offense, earning his second save in the process. He was the mission's player of the game. Moises Lugo has quietly had a really good season this year. Yeah. Yeah, he's real fun he's to watch, He's putting himself too. in a position to move up. You, when he gets on the mound, you're like, oh, that's a, he's pudgy. He's a, he's a, he's a pudgy guy. And you're like, holy can he has the dreads. He looks really cool. Yeah, he does. A little predator on the mound. Yeah, the mini predator. Okay, so strike two. On Thursday, Felix Majares threw 11 outs of scoreless baseball to keep San Antonio in the game. The 25-year-old Riverside native excelled in 21 and two-thirds innings of work in Fort Wayne, but has struggled in stints with San Antonio and El Paso. His excellent outing Thursday reduced his missions ERA to 7.3 in 24 and two-thirds innings. Kevin Copps answered the call next, tossing two hitless innings to mark his second consecutive scoreless appearance. 
Cops, the Padres' third third round selection in 2021, has a 4.11 ERA and has struck out 47 in 46 innings while walking 28 batters on the year, but his performance has improved significantly over his last eight weeks. Tirso Ornelas collected his second consecutive three-hit night to follow a three-game hitless streak. Ornelas is batting 294 with a 768 OPS in 374 at-bats in 2022. Ethan Skender entered the game as a middle innings replacement and reached base three times with two singles and a walk. Skender is batting 310 with an 808 OPS in 29 at-bats since he joined San Antonio after a rehab assignment in Arizona. Man, every time Skender gets on the field, yep. he's getting hits. <laughs> so it, if he can stay healthy next year, I mean, he could be one of these guys that makes a, a, a sudden move. Right. Absolutely. Could pop up to triple A after a solid season in double A. And I could see and, him being like the next Matthew Batten kind of guy. Yeah. He can play all over the place, does everything well. But please, for God's sake, stay healthy, kid. Stay healthy. Yeah. Strike yeah. three. Fr- Friday the Missions offense was in full effect. Brandon Dixon and Juan Fernandez carried the offense with three hits and three RBIs each. Dixon was a triple shy of the cycle with a single double and his 10th homer of the season. Fernandez had a pair of singles and a double in addition to driving in three runs. The 23-year-old also stole his 10th bag of the season. Juan Fernandez, he's not a base dealer, but stealing 10 bags for that guy is huge. It's just, it's huge. Um, <laughs> Kevin Moline had two hits and drove in three runs. The well-traveled Moline has played all over the system this season, but he has settled into a bench role with the missions. In 22 Texas League games, Moline is hitting 257, 309, and 419. And a 419 slugging percentage stands out a bit because Moline has slugged 328 across 435 career games in the system. Well, the power is finally starting to show up a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. Okay, so on, uh, El Paso on strike one, Tuesday, Luis Campusano and Kyle Martin both hit two run home runs in the 10th innings. The 23-year-old hit 15 homers in both 2019 and 2021, barring a sec- September call-up. Womp, womp. Uh-oh. <laughs> Campusano will have another month at AAA to reach a new career high. Well, now he has he has some time in Major League Baseball to try to yeah. reach that career high. Uh, El Paso, Luis Liberato uh, went three for four with two doubles and a walk. CJ Hinojosa went three for four with a double and two RBIs. Ryan Weathers shook off some struggles in the fourth inning and ended up completing five innings. The former first rounder allowed three earned runs on six hits, walking a pair and striking out seven. It was just the fourth time this season the Weathers averaged more than a strikeout per inning in a start out of 22 starts. So Ryan has been able to pitch deep into games consistently. I was looking at his game log and it seems like every time he's taken the mound, he's gone five or more innings. It's just keeping the ball in the yard and, and yeah. limiting base runners has been a real handicap for him. So I, so I hope that he can figure something out and come back next year. Guns blazing. Well, and here's something that, you know, that kind of tag was also on. Um, God, we just talked about him. He just pitched for uh, the Cleveland. Cal Quantrill. Cal Quantrill. He would have these fantastic three innings, and then the inning would just it would just die. It would just he would have this horrible inning. It couldn't minimize the damage. So you see all these, you know, you see this high ERA, but it doesn't really the ERA doesn't really necessarily tell the whole story. Um, you know, and certainly there's got to be a lot of work for Ryan this offseason, uh, and lots of hope that he can get you know kind of ra- righted, I guess, over the offseason. Um, to yeah. kind of put, put things together, but uh, he could just be a victim of the PCL and, and could maybe, be. and I said this last episode is, is maybe even in the long run, maybe he is a, um, maybe he's a long reliever. Maybe he's a high reliever, uh, you know, high pressure situation kind of guy. 
where you get the most value out of him, where he can just throw the hardest he can for a couple of innings, and and you know that's where his value is. But for now, the Padres still think he's a starter. I we we still think he's a starter, and we'll see how it goes from there. Yeah, yeah, you know he. So he came up. I think he made one or two appearances with the Padres in the middle of the season, and he did surprisingly well. I think it was just one game. Um, Reese Kinnear, he's come up a few times, and you look at these guys' stat lines in El Paso, and it's like, yeesh, I don't know how this guy can succeed against major league hitters. But then they came up and they did all right. So yeah. maybe there is something to the, you know, looking at the PCL numbers and trying to throw a huge grain of salt on that. <laughs> That'd be a rock of salt. <laughs> yes. Would be a one rock. Yes. Strike two. Strike two on Thursday. Jay Groom got the start for the Chihuahuas and kept them in the game, pitching into the sixth and allowing three runs. Groom acquired from Boston in exchange for Eric Hosmer, Max Ferguson, Corey Rozier, and Cash is 0 for 1 with a 3.38 ERA and four stars for El Paso after tonight's no decision. In 21 and a third innings, the Southpaw has struck out 16 and walked nine. Still 24 years old, Groom is an intriguing pickup for the Padres, a former first-round pick in 2016 who's worked his way through injuries. He had Tommy John surgeries come back from that. Uh, Carlos Belen picked up his first AAA save. Belen, a member of the 2012 signing class as an infielder, is 26 years old now and has struck out five while not allowing a base runner in five innings since being promoted from San Antonio on August 9th. Eggy Rosario smacked a double as part of a two-hit night as the infielder continues a scorching summer. The first 2020 player in Chihuahua's history, Rosario has a 991 OPS in August to follow up a 1.119 mark in July and 993 in June. And I guess that's why he earned the call-up that happened this week. Him and, Ros- and Camposano both coming up for the first time this season with the Padres. Uh, well, Camposano can- was up to the start of the season, but yeah. Right, but we've been campaigning for those guys all season, so I think someone must be listening to us finally. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. But, so he- here's the thing about um, uh, 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 Jake Room is uh, I listened to uh, the – when I listened to StatCat, uh, the, um, the fan, the Fangrass uh, podcast, and Tim Haggerty was on there talking about his book, which we'll have him on in the future to talk about. Um, and you know, the scouts told him about Jake Room. They're like, that's a major league pitcher. Now, scouts, he said, like, scouts are usually guys that uh, that aren't really flowing with, like, glowing reviews of any minor league player. But this guy's like, that's a major league pitcher. So, you know, look for Jake Groom to have an invite to spring training next year and and push for a, a spot in the rotation. And well, he's on the 40-man co- roster already. So he's, he's, he's one step away. Um, and he could be somebody that if the Padres needed a spot start coming up between now and the end of the season yeah. – there's a chance he could get a call. But so a scout saying that that tells me more about just how he kind of conducts himself, how he, how he looks on the mound, right. Just to how businessman like he is somebody that looks like he's, you know, ready. You know, outside of what the, what the numbers say. Absolutely. Strike three uh, Saturday, Reese Kinnear made his first start in a month and was charged with four earned runs over three innings. After he had a stellar July PCL opponents have played 10 runs, None of them earned against the righty in 10 and two-thirds innings this month. Down 4-0 in the fifth inning, El Paso tied up the game on the road in Oklahoma City with Luis Liberato's grand slam to center field and then went ahead in the sixth inning on first baseman Cal Martin's sacrifice fly. Unfortunately, five runs in the bottom of the seventh gave the OKC Dodgers the win despite the visitors' three runs in the ninth. With his 18th home run, Liberato is the Chihuahua's active leader with the promotion of Rosario and traded Brent Rooker, who played yesterday. 
Uh, CJ Hiragosa, 27, was on base three times and made his best month, hitting 329, 421, and 427 while offering versatility on the infield. Matthew Batten, 27, was hitless but stole a base in his first game back with the Chihuahuas after almost two months in the big leagues. I wonder if he walked back into that clubhouse like a big timer. Yeah, I'm buying dinner tonight, boys. Got a little money in the savings account. <laughs> Credit card so paid the off. The Chihuahuas just wrapped up their series against Oklahoma City, the Dodgers, yeah, and they're they're leading the the PCL, uh, their division in the PCL. And we were hoping a week ago that the Chihuahuas could go out there and and whoop up on them and pass them in the standings. Well, now they're four and a half games back, and it looks like they're going to need a ton of help to yeah. make it to the postseason. It was looking tough. pretty I unlikely. I, I watched a lot of those games. I watched a lot of these games this last week, and God, when they needed to get a hit, when you know, like it says here, I hit a grand slam and put a bunch of runs up on the board. Next inning, that just bam, boom, boom, single, double, triple, home run, whatever. Just, uh, just incredible how they just are relentless. The Dodgers organization are just relentless. Up and down. They played the loons. They played, you know, the 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 uh, the, oh, the sorry the Oklahoma, you know, the Oklahoma the Dodgers. Dodgers. Thank yeah. you, thank you. Uh, but I want to say this real quick. I wanted this to be a Luis Camposano kind of rant. Um, I think it's about time that he got called up. I mean, s- seriously, it's about time to see what we have with him. Everything aside, the guy is a ball player. He is a he's a catcher who has hit for average and power despite his shortcomings uh, and other aspects, his, his plate, you know, his covering of the plate, his catching was tweeted do it yesterday from the catching guy saying, this is an elite way. And everyone was like, Oh, I guess, I guess he's, I guess he's elite. I guess I don't know what I'm talking about when everyone just loves bashing on the guy. Cause he keeps dropping his glove before the pitch is thrown. And that's right. how you catch the ball. Right. And it's, it, it goes beyond framing. He did a really good job blocking behind the plate last yeah. night. I saw that. Um, I, I do, I can't help but wonder. So last year, was it last year or the year he caught that Blake Snell game where he couldn't get out of the first inning and he just got blown up. And yesterday, Sean and I got lit up in the first inning and I, I can't help but wonder if, a more experienced catcher might have known what to go to, like what kind of an adjustment to make. Because you'll hear you'll hear Mudcat talk about okay, right. the pitcher he's he's sailing his fastball up high, need to get the release point down, and so sometimes a catcher will call for a couple more breaking balls to try to get that release point out front a little bit more, and then and, and then something clicks. Uh, but that's, you know, little nitty gritty stuff. Um, he's definitely earned it up. And the, the fact that they called him up and not Cam Gallagher, who's also on the 40 man yeah. roster and has major league experience, you know, that, that tells me something that, that Luis has shown them something in El Paso to suggest that he has earned this call up. He's not yeah, just sir. getting it because of an opportunity. He's right. earned this call up. Absolutely. And he's shown himself with a couple of singles, a couple of opposite field singles, you know, staying with the pitch. Sure. He got, picked off and that was kind of rough and i think he had a throwing error as well but that stuff's going to happen when you're when your team is scuffling and you're still a new guy um right i think these next few weeks that um alfaro is on the you know if he does well if campbell center does well maybe they dfa alfaro it's going to be a tough it'll be it'll be a tough dfa because he's just a fan favorite but if yeah, Center starts hitting, heart. i know but if he starts hitting like that kid's the future I, alfaro, I just got i just got his jersey from china Right, but that was like a ten dollar jersey. True, you didn't, right? <laughs> yeah, um, 
So I, I'm just, I, I, you know, after all this has been said and done about Camposano, let's see what the guy can do for a significant amount of time. So if it's these 10 days and a little longer than that, um, let's see what he's got. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's got his, his, he's got his opportunity now. And the Padres need to make some hay real quick because they, uh, what, they're playing San Francisco now. And then I believe the next stop is, is Los Angeles. Yeah. Where Shaman will be pitching again. So yep. I don't I don't think an act only an act of God could have had Manaya pitch any better or any worse than you know any better sorry than than he pitched on Sunday, and um, his although his last outing was really good the inconsistency of these past five or so starts has been alarming, like when he came on the first part of the season he was lights out mixing in pitches but now it seems like it's funny when he pitched on Sunday I'm like <coughs> yeah he's gonna get lit up you know just because my negative outlook on life but. Just it seemed like it was he was going to get lit up. Well, it sounds like he's pretty much the same guy that he was in Oakland. That he can go out there and look outstanding, and he can go out there and look rough. And when it all comes down at the end, <laughs> the ERA and the WHIP and everything is in line with where he's been else you know before in his career. Right. Um, so people have made some pointing out some things about release point and you know the shape of his pitch is changing a little bit this year, but. He's the same dude that he was. He seems like a really good guy in the clubhouse when you see him interacting with everybody else and kind of keeping things light and all that. Uh, but people, he he's a back-end starter. Yeah. So you can't expect ace-quality performance out of him every time. He's going to he's gonna eat a bunch of innings. Every once in a while, he's going to throw a clunker. Now he's just got to hope that the next few times he takes the mound, there <laughs> aren't any clunkers left in there. Because you know, Padres need every win they can get. And that's the thing, especially with the time when the team is scuffling so much that you can, you know, you want to blame someone and, you know, a couple of bad outings and a handful of starts is, is tough when, when a team is scuffling like that. If we were, you know, doing really well and maybe that was, uh, you know, a, one of the losses out of the last five or so. Um, sure. But, you know, when you're, when you're winning two out of five games or so, when you're playing sub 500 ball, you know, every start absolutely matters. And, um, you know, you can get, you can get kind of peg and pigeonholed for, uh, for having bad starts like that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So you well, guys, I'm glad that we started out this, yeah. this episode of some good news on the, on the labor front. And there's Watch. lots of reason to be excited about the minor league, what the, what the teams are doing. we got a couple of teams in the postseason already. Absolutely. So you got the storm in the postseason. you have the missions in the postseason. um, and even, uh, even, even the, the Chihuahuas you know, still have a chance. Yeah, the Chihuahuas still have a chance. So that's going to be fun to watch. And and really, in the next coming weeks and months, um, things are just going to be accelerating. I think with with the unionization of the minor leagues and how that's going to go. That's going to be a long process. Uh, but there's going to be tons of information, and it being so prominent with uh with it being Major League Baseball and such a a sea change in the business of of baseball. Uh, there's going to be lots of content and lots of stuff to talk about, and it's all going to be positive. Yeah, no, and I appreciate the work being done by guys like Evan Drellich, JJ Cooper, um, as well as our friends at Mad Friars and Fangraphs and all over the yeah. place. Um, yeah, it's we're we're fortunate that we get a almost a front row seat for all of this stuff now because of all this great coverage. Yeah, and then the right, so, we'll have in the offseason we'll have some of those guys from. Uh, I don't know even what to call them anymore. The advocates for minor leaguers are some of the former um, employees of advocates for minor leaguers who are now in the players association uh, organization on the podcast in the future to talk more in depth about this stuff as a, uh, as information is that kind of the ball gets rolling more down the line. 
All right. Well, in the meantime, let's send some good mojo out in the universe. The Padres sure need it. Um, until next week, you can find me on Twitter at Zippy underscore TMS. And you can find me on Twitter at SD Donovan. Let's go Padres. Go Padres.